So I've got a message I want to share with us today. I hope it's encouraging to us because I believe the Lord wants to encourage some people. Okay. And so how many would like to be encouraged? Yeah, that's good. I like encouragement. You know, if you've been in life very long, you'll come to realize how valuable encouragement is because life can be tough. And... uh, I'm going to read these two scriptures real quick. You can turn there if you would like, but I'm going to read them so quick that you will, I'll probably have them read before you get there. So, but you can check them out later, 1 Corinthians 10, 11. Now, these things happened to them as an example, and they were written for our instructions upon whom the end of the age have come. Okay, Paul's telling the Corinthian the church that he's talking about the Old Testament, the men of and women of faith from the Old Testament, that those things that happened to them and were written in the Scriptures were written for our benefit. Okay, the church, New Testament church. And in Romans 15.4, he does the same thing. For uh, whatever was written earlier, in earlier times, was written for our instructions so that through perseverance and encouragement of the Scriptures, we might have hope. I need hope. There are days that, uh, you know, I call it where you're just high off the goodness of God. You're high off God's spirit. When God's presence is on you and you can feel his presence, you, f- you can run through a troop. You can leap over a wall. You feel like uh, David and his mighty men. There's just an amazing thing when you feel God with you in a very tangible way. But I've yet to learn how to live in that place. I want to, but I also know that life, there's peaks and there's valleys. And to go from peak to peak or from glory to glory, sometimes you have to go down before you can go back up, right? And so, you know, I love the move, move of God. I want the move of God. I pray for the move of God. I love it when God heals people. We've had a, a number of healings in this church that I am just so thankful for. Um, I love it when God does stuff out of the box. I love it when things are exciting and you see the Spirit of God moving and touching people. And But my word today is really to help us when that's not happening. Because that's not going to happen all the time. I believe it's supposed to happen on a regular basis. I believe that. But I also understand that we have, as believers, there is something that God wants to do in transforming us into the image of His Son. And that's not just how to walk in power. That's part of it. That's part of the kingdom. We need to, we need to, to come with power. The world needs power. Okay? But God's interested in sonships in us, Christ in us, the hope of glory. God is interested in transforming us into sonships where we can be like him. That's what his desire is, that Christ would be formed in his people. Paul said, I was at labor until Christ was formed in you. Paul's labor in the church was that God, Christ Jesus himself, would be formed in his people. I want Christ formed in me. But if I'm signing up for that, I have to understand i got to go through some stuff because the only way you can get there is to go through, like, it's like the Scripture says, it's through many trials and tribulations that we enter the kingdom. 
You want to get into the kingdom, you have to go through some things. How many like that message? You want God? You want to follow Jesus? What did Jesus say? If any man wants to follow after me, pick up your cross and follow me. There is difficulty is in your future if you're following Jesus. Difficulty. And I think that in the American church, that has been one of the fewest messages that have been preached. I mean, you don't hear about it much. I think that's changing. The Holy Spirit's helping us. He's beginning to awaken believers to the fact that uh, as believers, we're going to suffer. We're going to. Suffering is part of the kingdom of God. Not a fun message, I know. But it's part of God's kingdom. It's part of life. Everybody suffers. Whether you're a Christian or you're not a Christian, you're going to suffer. This is a fallen world. It's in the power of the evil one. Satan comes to kill, steal, and destroy. I know it says the thief came to kill, steal, and destroy. But I believe that Satan is the priest of thievery. He's the head thief. And he comes to kill, steal, and destroy. No question about it. Um, scripture says that he's like a roaring lion, roaming about, seeking whom he may devour. We're in that fallen world, and, and there's things that we got to go through, but God uses all that. So my message to us today is to encourage us th- of this one thing. You all ready for this one thing? I will never leave you, and I will never forsake you. That's what Jesus said. I will never leave you and never forsake you. He did not say that you will never feel like I have left you. There are times I feel like the Lord forsakes me. But he said he would never leave me or forsake me. One thing that I've come to to terms with is my feelings are not trustworthy. My mood, my current mood isn't always reliable. You know what I mean? And so if I'm allowing current emotions or current day headspace to determine how I'm going to feel today, then I'm constantly going to be tossed about here and there and never be anchored to a truth because it will come like my feelings, like waves. And the Scripture tells us that we're not to be tossed to and fro, right? All right, so I want to talk about Joseph. Um. One of the amazing things, and the reason I read those two scriptures is because I had a revelation a few weeks ago. Uh, I've had this revelation before, but not with this specific uh, item. I remember when I was in my 20s and I had gotten, you know, the Lord had gotten a hold of me and I was just, um, I had gotten on fire for the Lord and I had been walking with the Lord maybe a couple years, a year or two in a very solid way. I've been a Christian since I was seven, maybe even before then, but I had my tumultuous years of being a teenager where I was back and forth with the Lord. Had some amazing encounters with the Lord that anchored me through my teenage years. God help me <laughs> if I wouldn't have had that because I, I was already a hellion, so I would have been like hellion on steroids. But uh, God's grace gave me some encounters as a child that I could not deny the reality of God. I had some things that I don't care what you say. I had an experience, and my experience trumps your, your uh, theory. You know, I encountered this person. I knew he was real. And there were times in my life when Satan tried to convince me that God wasn't real. 
But that was a big lie, and he couldn't win with me in that area because I'd had an encounter when I was 10 years old that changed me forever. And it anchored me through my teenage years to when I came out on the other side, um, I began to you know, pursue the Lord and because he pursued me. He pursued me, he got me, and then I decided, I'm, I like this, I'm going to pursue him. That's the way it works. He pursues us so that we, he can, he pursues us so that we can turn around and pursue him. Um, it's a Holy Spirit tag. <laughs> tag, you're it. That's what God does. He comes and he tags you, and now you get to chase him, and he'll let you catch him sometimes. He's good like that. Um, but I remember having this encounter it was kind of out of the blue. Um, I'm only going to say this for the sake of letting you realize how out of the blue this was. I literally was in the restroom, <laughs> and all of a sudden, I get a download. And I don't know why that is, but that happens a lot with me. Uh, and I saw it as clear as a bell. I wasn't praying. I wasn't talking to God. I was going to the bathroom. And the download from heaven hit me, and I saw something that I didn't see prior, and it, it rocked me. And it was I saw that I was just like Abraham. Well, what do I mean by that? I saw that when God came to Abraham and he called him, he called him out away from his family, away from the world that he had known to take him to a land that he didn't know, to show him a, a, something that he had for him, but he didn't, he didn't show it to him right away. He had to follow to get there. And that was the process of Abraham becoming the father of faith. And we know that it's with faith that pleases God. And we know that he is the father of faith because he exercised faith, not righteousness. Righteousness was credited to Abraham because he believed. And thus he became the father of faith. And in the same way, I saw it as a revelation that believers that accept the call of Abraham, we all get the call. Not everybody obeys, but we all get the opportunity to leave everything and to follow him by the Spirit into a life that was not going to be your life in the natural. It was opposite of what you would have walked in had you not said yes to the call. And you had to follow him into a new land, a new land that didn't look anything like the, the land you were used to and comfortable with. And it was a, a life of faith, and it was a journey from one experience to the other. And not all the experiences were pleasant, but they all had their purpose in transforming Abraham into the person that God had called him to be. And we have all received that call. And if we say yes and follow him, you will have the most exciting life you could ever leave. But it comes at a cost, and usually the biggest cost is comfort. you got to be willing to lay down comfort to follow Jesus, because it's not comfortable always being led somewhere that you don't know where you're going. That's scary. But that's the call of Abraham. Who wants it? I want it. Well, likewise, a few weeks ago, I, I'm coming from the restroom 
down the hallway into my bedroom because we have a hallway between my bedroom and my in our bathroom. And as I'm walking, once again, not even thinking about anything godly. I wasn't praying. I wasn't reading my Bible. Walking from one room to the next. And that's usually how God does it. He'll hit you with a revelation when you're least expecting it. Otherwise, you would think you earned it. A lot of times you don't get revelation while you're striving to press into God because you'll think you earned it. You didn't earn it. You don't earn revelation. Now, we do study to show ourselves approved unto God. I'm not, disman- I'm not, hey, I read the Bible every day of my life. I love the Word of God. We get to know Him in this. But there are times that if God gave us certain things in that process, for some of us at different seasons of our life, we w- and I remember the Lord telling me this one time, He's like, the stuff you're seeking... I want to give it to you, but I can't give it to you now because you think you're earning it by doing these, this, this, and this. And I was like, wow, that was heavy. Sometimes we think we earn things that we're not earning. It's grace. It's all about the grace of God. But this revelation that came to me when I wasn't doing anything, I saw the life of Joseph, and I was in it. I had received the same, and I saw it as clear as a bell. For everyone that says yes to the call, they go through the exact same process that Joseph went through. Exactly. And I'm going to tell you, if you've said yes to the Spirit of God and you're being led by God's Spirit, you are going through the same stops, the same journeys, the same difficulties, the same stuff that he went through, you're going through it. I love Joseph's story. How many love Joseph's story? It's an awesome story. But we have an advantage he didn't have. He didn't know how it ended. <laughs> you know, we get so familiar with the Bible that sometimes we, we begin to, um, it just doesn't, we don't catch really the, the, the deep things that are going on. But I'm going to recap Joseph's life. We can't read it. It's too many chapters, but I'm going to recap it. And then I want to take a look at a few of those stops. I can't go deep into this, but I want to at least touch base on some of these and show how they apply to us and how we can and how that should encourage us, okay? Now Joseph was the 11th of 12th of 12 kids, right? He was um, Jacob had who became Israel, became, had 12 children. Joseph was the eldest son, eldest son of Rachel, okay? Joseph was a daddy's boy. He had his dad's favor, mainly because of his wife. He had four wives, basically, and which wasn't his fault, totally. Uh, he got tricked into one of them. Yeah, y'all know the story. Um, and it was a different time then, so he had four wives, and his, but the one that he wanted, which was the one he had pursued the whole time, was Rachel. He was in love with her. And her two sons, Joseph was uh, the favorite, no doubt about it. Not a great thing to have favorites among your kids. It's going to cause a lot of damage, and it's a horrible thing. But nevertheless, Joseph's, or Joseph was the favorite child. And his father gave him a coat of many colors. Y'all know that. It was a very special coat, very expensive coat. It was showed preference. And Joseph, I can imagine, was probably a brat. 
most kids that are the favorite are brats. They don't get the discipline that they need, and they, and, and they are just arrogant little... I could say a bunch of stuff. <laughs> I was one of those kids, so my siblings say. <laughs> I was the accident that came last uh, when everyone else was much older. I'm the youngest child, and they swear up and down. I was the brat, and I, I can't argue. <laughs> the cool thing is, is that when, when God has his way with you, you don't get free from discipline even if your parents didn't discipline you like you should have been. God knows how to discipline us. And, he, and that's his, you know, endure hardship, according to Hebrews 12, endure hardship as discipline for God, for God disciplines every son that he loves. And if we're sons, then we have to partake of hardship, which is God's discipline. The, he doesn't like doing it, but, you know, when you have bad behavior and you get punished, it makes you rethink your behavior, doesn't it? And if you ever see a kid that doesn't get disciplined, you know the benefit of discipline. It's imperative that you discipline your children. That's why the scripture says, he who spares the rod hates his child. I don't believe in beating kids, but I do believe in spankings. And you can take me to jail if you want to. Bible believes in them. I believe in them. I've seen the difference between kids that receive them. I'm not talking about beating your kid in anger. That is never acceptable. God does not beat us in anger. He disciplines us out of his great love for us. We should never uh, punish your children, spank your children in a rage or anger. You need to deal with that before you ever address the issue so that when you are disciplining them, you are disciplining them in love. And I always, when, I'm, when I was done, when I used to spank my kids, I used to make sure that when I'm done, I'm hugging them and loving on them until... It is broke that that sorrow is broken, and they know how I really feel about them. That this was not out of anger. This was because I love you enough that I don't want to let this attitude in you have its way in you because I value you too much for that. So it really is love. I don't believe in discipline and anger. That's wrong, but I do believe in spankings. That's in the south. You spank them. And I could tell you some stories about Southern whoopings too, because I had a Southern mama. If you ain't never, if you <laughs> if you ain't never cut a switch, let me tell you. <laughs> um, so, anyway, Joseph. Joseph had a couple dreams, right? Y'all remember the dreams? He had he had two dreams. Both of them showed that his family would one day bow down to him that he would be exalted above not only his brothers, but his father and his mother. Well, as you can imagine, as the favorite child talking to his, to his brothers and sisters, telling them this dream that, hey, I had this dream, and y'all are all going to bow down to me. And he, he's already disliked because he's the favorite from, among the brothers. How's that going to go over? It doesn't go over good. And so they, uh, Jacob asked him to go, Joseph to go check on his children. He sends them off. They were far away, tending the sheep. He gets there. They saw him coming from a long way, and they had just had enough of this dude. So they decided, let's kill him. And one of them, Reuben, said, you know what? We, we can't kill him. Let's not do that. He's our brother. Let's just throw him in this pit. <laughs> That's better, I guess, than death. So, they, so Reuben takes him, and he throws him in this pit with the intention of coming back later to pull him out of the pit and take him back to his father. He was 17 at this time. And 
what ends up happening is Reuben, I guess, was off a little bit. The story doesn't tell us where he went, but he went away. And while the rest of the brothers were eating, a group of Ishmaelites had come along. And so they decided to, rather than kill Joseph anyway and not profit from him, they said, well, let's sell him since he is our brother. Let's not kill him because he's our brother. Let's sell him. So I just, I, I think that's just, it wouldn't be humorous in the moment for for Joseph, but I just find that humorous that they would, all of a sudden, they're going to be nice to him because he is their brother, and uh, and that's being nice. So they sell him to the Ishmaelites, who take him to the Midianites, who take him to Egypt, where he was finally sold in his third transaction. Now, imagine this for a minute. You're the prince, if you will, of a family. You got it pampered. You get favorite coats. I imagine you got favorite food. Everything in your life is pampered, pampered, pampered. Amazing. You know, uh, you know he's, he's, if you know what I'm talking about, he's got this really good, high-quality life for, for that time period. And then all of a sudden, in a twinkling of an eye, he is ripped from that life, made a slave, and now he's taken to a distant land, and he doesn't even know the language. That's pretty rough. You're 17 years old, and you're ripped out of the, your family and your loved ones, and you're now in misery. And Joseph is taken, and he's sold to Potiphar, who was the, king, the, king's, the head of the king's bodyguards, head of Pharaoh's bodyguards, and he's there, and he's, I'm, he's having to learn a language. He's having to learn how to work, probably, in a way he's never had to work. He's probably had some calluses he never had, thought he'd have. You know, life went from this extreme to this extreme overnight. And we just kind of smooth over that when we're reading, and we're not thinking about, what was that first night like? Can you imagine how desperate he was, how isolated, how alone he felt? He would have felt horrible, and God allowed that to happen. Think about that. We know that God is good. There is no one better. God is good. He is loving. He is kind. He is merciful and gentle. But yet here this Joseph is suffering, right? Good thing the story didn't end there. He had some long nights, I'm sure, of weeping and crying I can't imagine that first night. He probably, in the, in the South, he would have bawled his eyes out. It was rough. And, but, but you know what he did? He adapted. You, have one, you really have one choice, really. It's either to die or to get with the program. He sucked it up. That's right. <laughs> He put his big boy pants on and he sucked it up. And he actually served Pharaoh so well and was so faithful in everything that he did that Pharaoh saw that God was with this kid. And he worked his way up from being probably the low totem pole slave. He just arrived. Like when he first arrived, he was the low man on the pole. And he's a Hebrew. He's not even Egyptian. And he's in slavery you know, when you go to Egypt, you know what they do, right? They cut your hair off. They shave your beard. You, you know, they weren't down with hair. They didn't like hair. Hair was nasty. 
And so he got shaved. He, got, he had to start learning a language. He was working probably, you know, from, you know, sun up to sundown and maybe even more. You know, food, all of a sudden, you're not eating like you used to. You're probably starving to death. Not fun. But God was with Joseph, the Scripture says. He was with him in his suffering. And in that place, Joseph learned faithfulness. And he began to learn what it means to be a slave. Why is that important? Well, because we know the end of the story. And I will get to that. So he works his way up to the point that he was so distinguished to his master that his master ends up putting everything that he has control over in Joseph's hands to manage. Joseph had a gift. He, God was with him. And here he is serving his master so faithfully and working so hard, probably 20 years old at this point, maybe. And yet... All of a sudden, Pharaoh's wife decides she wants to... I'm sorry, thank you. Potiphar's wife decides she wants to sleep with him. Okay? Well, what does Joseph do? He says no. Now, I imagine that was a tough temptation for a young man. She probably was a very attractive lady, and it was a tough temptation. And here you got the... You know, you're in a strange land, and I'm sure that would have been tempting, but he honored God... But what I, what I love about the story is he said, my master has given me everything that's in his hands. The only thing that he has withheld is his own wife. I cannot do this thing. It's evil. And she kept coming and coming and coming, and he never would give in. And finally, the only thing she could do was to, she got sick of it, and she lied, and she told her husband that he tried to rape her. Of course, he's furious, by the grace of God, he wasn't executed, and he was thrown into an Egyptian dungeon. Now, if you've been to jail, whether by visiting or just passing through or however you were, if you've been to jail, you know jails in America uh, you know, are not that bad. And depending on where you're at, you know, it, it's almost like country club living, depending on what your crime was. Uh, you get three meals a day. You get to exercise. This isn't what he was in. He was in a dungeon in Egypt in a time where it was rough. I can imagine, and I don't think this is too far off, that there was probably sharing rooms with rats, all kinds of stuff down there. It was the low, low dungeon. You know, I don't know if you've ever been. There's so many things that we don't think about, and that's the only reason I keep bringing them up. You ever been into a house that is kind of run down and you got the mold smell? I can promise you that that dungeon would have been moldy. It was dark. The drainages, they didn't have great drainage. That place would have been moldy. I hate being in mold. It's just nasty. Makes gets you all snotty and stuff. You don't like it. That's probably what Joseph was living in. But you know what Joseph did? He was faithful. He did his job. And he did it so well that the head jailer decided this guy's trustworthy. I'm going to put him over the whole jail. So in the midst of difficulty, struggles, pain, can you imagine what kind of hope he probably had? He just got thrown into a prison in a foreign country for trying to so-called rape a leader of the country's wife. Where was his hope? Where would your hope be at? 
man, I get, you know, we fight depression when our bank account dips too low or, you know, I mean, the things that make us depressed. It, I'm not talking about American depression. I'm talking about your life is over according to the circumstances. But what did Joseph do? He was faithful. The scripture in Psalm says that the word of the Lord tested Joseph. Joseph had two dreams from God that he would one day rule. And you know what happens when you get a word from God? You almost immediately go to the opposite place of what your dream or words tells you. You almost always go to the very opposite of where you're going. He told the children of Israel when he brought them out of Egypt, he said, I'm taking you to a land flowing with milk and honey. The first stop on their journey, once they got past the Red Sea, they didn't even have water to drink. And he said he was taking them to a land flowing with milk and honey. Well, he was. He was telling the truth. He doesn't lie. But you're going to have some stops along this path that are going to look the absolute opposite of what God's promise is. And in that moment, you're going to be tempted to doubt. You're going to be tempted to despair. You're going to be tempted to think, God has left me. He's not with me. How many know what Emmanuel means? Say it again. God with us. That was one of the messianic prophecies about Jesus. God with us. Jesus said, I would never leave you and I will never forsake you. There will be times in your life that you will have to decide whether you're going to believe the word of the Lord or you're going to believe your circumstances. Because you're going to have circumstances where the word of the Lord will test you. That's what it says about Joseph. The word of the Lord tested Joseph. I'm taking you to a land flowing milk and honey. You go to a place you don't have water to drink. Hey, I'm about to release finances in your life that you're going to be a, 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 what do you call it, when you're a financier of kingdom things, and the next thing you know, you, you lose your job, and you don't have money to pay your rent. You don't have food. What's going on? I thought you just said something. I did. That's why I said it, so you wouldn't get discouraged. When you get a big, high-level word from God, that's because you're going to need it to get where you're going. God doesn't give us high-level words in very high-level ways unless you're going to need that to make it to the place that he's telling you. When you get a big, heavy-duty word that God confirms in a big way, it's because you're going to need it. And you're going to have to fight and battle over that word to stay in a place of faith and hope and encouragement in the midst of something coming where the enemy's going to try to make things look as bad as he can possibly can so that you, by doubting and unbelief, will turn back and abort the word that God had given you. You have to stand strong and hold on to the promises of God when we're going through the process because the process is not the end. The process is the process to get to the end. And Lord knows we need processing. We got some junk in us that needs to come out. And unfortunately, the best way to get to certain things in our life is to allow ourselves to go through things that cause those things to come out. You know, that if you look at the story of Job, 
one thing that you see is in God's perspective, Job was the most righteous man on the earth. But when you start seeing with the dealings of suffering that Job was going through, pride and arrogance started coming out. You didn't see that before. Why not? There's just certain pressure points that when you get those pressure points put on, it's like all of a sudden stuff starts coming out of us that we didn't even know were there. I've learned that the hard way. There were people that God put in my life that he put in my life for the sole purpose to let me realize I ain't so good. Because those people had a way of putting pressure on me that caused junk to come out of my life, and I'm thankful for those experiences because I no longer think I'm a good person. I'm not a good person. There's nothing good in me. Paul said nothing good dwells in our flesh. Nothing. You're not a good person. Nobody's good. We're all sinners, saved by grace. Jesus is good. But sometimes, even we start walking in life, we start feeling kind of good about ourselves. And sometimes we need some things to help remind us, oh, wait a minute, I need to rethink this. I need to relook at this. There's some pride there. There's some arrogance. There's some laziness. There's some this. There's some that. There's some fear that's holding on to my life. And we have to go through these things that God uses to get our attention to pull us back to Him so that we can see things from His perspective. My whole point of Joseph's life was struggle, difficulty. If I, if I have this right, don't quote this, but I'm pretty sure it was 13 or 14 years that Joseph went from the time he was 17, sold into slavery, until the time he got out. But here's the, here's the part that the Lord spoke to me personally. He told me when I was going through my hallway there and I had this revelation about Joseph, he told me I was in prison. Now, I'm not going to explain that into my life right now. That's not the point. The point is there's some things in my life that I have been experiencing that it seems like nothing I, there's nothing that I try to do remedies this place that I'm at that I can't get out of. And all my efforts and strength to somehow figure out a way out of the circumstances, years and years and years and years of trying to get out of this thing to no avail. And the Lord showed it to me as clear as a bell. I'm in prison and he did it. <laughs> he did it. Every single one of us, if we're following the Lord, we're, we're going to go into prisons. Joseph went through two prisons, really. Really three. His, third, his first one was being sold as a slave. He was in a prison. And if the truth be told, there's probably a lot more prisons than that. He was probably, it depends on your perspective, but he kind of was in a prison in his first life. He was in a prison of comfort. He was in a prison of uh, being the, the, the favored child. You know, that can be a prison. If it holds you back and keeps you in a certain place that you can't leave, what is a prison? It's a place that you can't leave. You're stuck. How many people ever feel stuck? If you feel stuck and you're struggling, I want you to know this message is for you. You're probably, it's a good chance, it's not a, it's not a far gone conclusion, but there's a good chance you may be in one of God's prisons. Now, sometimes we get ourselves in prison. And repentance will get us out of it, okay? You know what I mean? 
When we do things that aren't according to God's ways, you can get yourself stuck in some prisons. I'm not talking about that. I'm talking about those prisons that weren't anything that you did to deserve to go into this prison, yet God had a plan, and he knew that this prison was the perfect oven to cook you to the right temperature to where you're good and done. Sometimes we just got to cook a little longer. We're still a little doughy in the middle. (laughs) Hadn't had enough heat applied. And so we stay in the oven a little longer. Joseph, poor guy, my goodness. But you know what? God wasn't sitting there saying poor guy. He saw something. He saw something of value in this man. He said, this man has something of value I'm going to take the time to train this kid so that he can be the son that I've called him to be. And God sees us. When he sees value in us, he says, look, I see something of value. I can make something out of that person. I'm going to allow them to go through the process to be trained and prepared and tempered so that they can be like my son. You know, one of the struggles that Solomon had was he was treated differently than the rest of David's kids. I know I'm jumping around Bible verses, so you just, if you don't know what I'm talking about, just talk to me afterwards. David had a son that the Lord spoke clearly would be king, and that was Solomon. He had other children. When you read the Proverbs and you read uh, the stories of David and Solomon, you begin to get a picture that Solomon was treated much harsher than the rest of the family. The rest of the brothers got away with a lot. Solomon didn't get away with anything. Why was that? He was called to be king. When you're called to responsibility, you're treated differently. You have a higher training. The higher the calling, the worse the 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 longer and the harder the process is to get you ready for that place. And the last time I checked, we were called to be a kingdom of kings and priests. Right? Every single one of you, if you're a believer in Christ Jesus, you're called to leadership. You're called to be a king in, in both this life and in the life to come. But you're being prepared for eternity. This life is about preparation, training for reigning. The life to come is going to be beautiful, but I want to get as much of the process out of the way now that I can because I can't add to it there. Let Lord do your work in me now. So I saw that this two-year period of time was the same two-year period that Joseph had went to where he had been in this dark dungeon, this dark place with no hope or a future, and here comes the, king, the Pharaoh's uh, baker and Pharaoh's cup, cup holder, the wine holder, the guy that serves him his drinks. Both of them had offended Pharaoh. They got thrown into the prison, and they both have dreams. And Joseph said, let, he heard them talking about their dreams, and he said, I can interpret your dreams. And he interprets the dreams, and sure enough, just as Joseph interpreted his dreams happened, the wine, uh, the cupbearer was restored to his position, and the baker was killed, just like Joseph interpreted for the dreams. Right? And what does he say? He says, remember me. Do you know what's going on there? Think about it. Remember me. 
This is the only hope that this man has had in a very long time. Someone's going back to a high position, and he's desperate to get out of this prison. He's in a prison that, that he's known almost his whole of his adult life, and he's, and he's had no hope of getting out of that prison, none. And yet, here's this guy being positioned again at Pharaoh's, right beside Pharaoh, and Joseph is like, remember me. Please remember me. He's in anguish. He doesn't like being there, but he's being faithful where he doesn't want to be. Can we be faithful where we don't want to be? It's very important. He was faithful where he doesn't want to be. I don't like this word. I'm going to tell you, I don't like this word. I don't like having the Lord tell me two more years. That's what he told me. Two more years. Two more years. Oh, my gosh. I don't like this circumstance I'm in. I don't like this prison that I'm in. I'm not going to go into it right now, but there's an aspect of my life that I can't get out of. And yet, the Lord's using it. And I'm telling every single one of you that God will bring you into prisons, places where you feel stuck that you can't get out of, and he's looking for you to be faithful where you are. Stop trying to jump out of the frying pan and into the fire. Cook, baby, cook. <laughs> Just get done. <laughs> the longer you try to fight to get out of that pan, the longer it's going to take to get you ready, and you're going to jump out from one heat to the next heat to the next heat, but God loves you enough to keep bringing you back to the fire pan. So you might as well get it done on the first time. The more we fight it, the longer it takes, and that means the more pain we, we experience, the more difficulties we don't like. Cook, just, just die. You know what happens when pigs die? They squeal and they fight it if they know it's happening. Now, if they don't know what's happening, they just die because I've seen that happen too. But, <laughs> but you know what a sheep will do? As a sheep is silent to the slaughter. Wasn't that prophesied about Jesus in Isaiah 53? Sheep don't say a word. They just die. We need to learn how to just die. Now, I don't mean literal death, obviously. I'm talking about learning how to die to our selfishness, our carnal ways, our desires to have what we want, and to learn how to embrace the cross, which is not my will, but your will be done. If you're doing something in this place, Lord, I don't like it, but praise your name, Lord, have your way in me. Be it unto me according to your word, not my desire. Much of our lives are spent trying to get out of the very fire that God had put you in to prepare you for sonship. Whether you're a man or a woman, you're called to the sonship. That's talking about authority, the place of ruling and reigning with Christ one day, and even now. But if we're fighting the process... You're just going to make it go longer. Sit around there and complain all you want to, but you're just going to go around a mountain again. It's going, instead of two years, like the children of Israel had two years to go through the desert, it took them end up being 40 years because they rebelled against the Lord and complained. And I don't want that. I want it to, you know, as Rick says, no pain, no pain. <laughs> Let's make it as easy as possible.
So, I'm sure in the two-year time frame, he gave up on that that cupbearer. You know what I mean? I mean, think about it. Two years of your life. Two years ago, you had hope that perhaps this man would remember you and somehow something would happen that maybe you could get pulled out of prison because of some pull, some political pull. But let me tell you something. Promotion doesn't come from the east or from the west, but from the Lord. When you want to be promoted and come out of your prison, you want it to be because God's ushering you out. When man does it, you end up right back in a different prison or back in the same one, and you've just shortened the process. Don't look to the strength of man. Don't look for people to rescue you out of your pain. I know people like that. They're in pain. They're suffering, and they call everybody they know trying to get them to fix all the problems. They're always calling for somebody. Maybe this person will have an answer for me. Maybe this person. Why not go to God? Lord, what are you saying in this? What are you saying? Is this, is this situation something that you're doing and I need to be content here or is this something that I can come out of? What do you say, Lord? But no, we run to people and we try to say, get me out of this prison. You got any ideas? You got any thoughts on how I can get out of here? That's human nature. I get it. I understand it. I've done it. But the Lord, when he brings you out, man, it's sweet. What a sweet, sweet, sweet feeling of relief when you come out of prison. And it's because you have passed the test. You just graduated high school, and it's time to come on out. That's a sweet feeling. Well, you know, Joseph, I can't imagine what he felt like. Excited, nervous, not knowing what's going on. The Pharaoh calls for, they call for him. Uh, they shaved him up, bathed him, sent him into the king. But you know what happened? The 17 year old that had those incredible dreams in Revelation didn't present to Pharaoh. A 30 year old who had been beat down by life, who had been through the fire, who had gone through some stuff, who had been humbled, who had been pounded. He was now ready to stand before Pharaoh. And not only stand before Pharaoh, he was now ready. Because if you know the story, he interpreted Pharaoh's dream. And he gave him instructions to find a wise man. And Pharaoh said, who is so wise as this man here who has a spirit of the gods? And they all the people saw it. And so they put Joseph over Egypt which was the main power of the whole world at that time. And in that place, it was, uh, I guess from that point, it would probably have been eight, nine years later. I don't know how long it took for for all the food to wear off after the seven years of plenty. I don't know. But at some point in the next seven to ten years, there was probably an an, an incredible uh, famine had worked its way all the way to to where Israel was and his family, and they came, and what happened? All of his sons bowed down to him. His father ends up coming, and he was head over the whole world at that time. The whole It was amazing. His dream came true, but he responded to that dream much differently as a 30-year-old beat down. He was now prepared to rule people in a, 
in a, from a, 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 a mindset of a servant. He had learned how to serve in all those years of going through it. And if he would not have went through that, he would have been an arrogant, self-absorbed little brat ruling and reigning. And you think he would have been a good person to have in charge of all the food of the whole world? He would have killed his brothers. That would have been, been, that's right. He learned something in the process and he became a different person than he was as a 17-year-old. And as much as I don't like going through difficult things, I have learned to value it. That's where the scripture says, rejoice when you experience various trials. How can it say that? Well, if you've surrendered to God during that process and you come out on the other side, you'll know why. I am thankful and I would not trade any of the things I've gone through that has caused growth inside of me. I don't like them. I don't like going through it. It's painful. Sometimes I cry. Sometimes I cry to the Lord. Lord, this hurts. And he's there with me. But I don't regret going through anything that God puts me through in order to prepare because what I see of value on the backside of that is far superior. That's what Paul said. The present suffering does not compare. does not even compare. It's like dung to what we shall be. You know? He considered all of it that he may obtain Christ. And so I want to encourage some people today That no matter what you're going through, you're probably in a process. You are in a process. If you're God's child, he's trying to take you through a process. And one of the things that the Lord spoke to me a few weeks ago, uh, I didn't realize the connection at the time, but I had the Lord tell me that that it was going to take faith and patience for his children. We have to exercise the faith and patience. Scripture says, with faith and patience, you inherit the promises. But he said it in relationship to this. I will never leave you and I will never forsake you. He was showing me that he wants his people to understand that there are times that it's going to feel like God's left you. And that's part of the process. Aren't we to know Jesus? Aren't we to know the fellowship of his sufferings? What did he say? What did he quote? Psalms 22, hanging on the cross. My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? God hadn't forsaken him. He was quoting Psalms 22. Did God's spirit lift off of him at that moment that the sins of the whole world fell upon him? Absolutely. I believe Jesus tasted death for all men. And that's one place God the Father couldn't step into. Because Jesus didn't just take our sin, he became our sin. Scripture says uh, that, um, that he made him who knew no sin to become sin, that we might become the righteousness of God in Christ. The most amazing man that ever lived who never sinned took the sin of the whole world upon him and actually became sin on the cross so that if anybody wants to have eternal life in him, they can call on the name of Jesus for what he did. He stepped into death for us. That if anyone will call on his name, they will be saved. They will go to heaven when they die. And heaven at that moment will come inside of them. 
and they'll become a child of the light. He is our example. He is our example. If we're to know him, we have to know what he goes through. You want to know Jesus, you have to know the fellowship of his sufferings. You got to know what it's like to have a friend betray you. You got to know what that, you want to know Jesus, you got to know what he went through. You got to know what it's like to go through things. You got to know what it's like for people to speak evil of you. Jesus said, if they love me, they'll love you. But if they hate me, they'll hate you. You're not going to be liked by everybody. We've got to learn how to pick up our cross and follow him. And remember, I will never leave you. I will never forsake you. He said it. He meant it. We have to stop interpreting our current circumstances as God's leaving us based upon whether we like what we're in or we don't like it. We have to realize that God's looking to a big picture, just like Joseph's life. Thank God for what Joseph went through. As Margaret pointed out, his, he had killed his brothers. If God had wouldn't have worked in him Christ's likeness, he, rather than forgiving them and blessing them, he would have killed them. But God had worked something in him through his struggle. We need the struggle, guys. We need it. It's part of our process. Stop trying to get out of your struggles. Start embracing what God's doing in the struggles, and then you'll get out quicker than you would have by trying to get out of it. Does that make sense? Lord, help. <laughs> Teach us and help us to learn how to stay when you're telling us to stay. Learn how to Teach us, Lord, to learn how to suffer well. Y'all, I just want to uh, read the end of the story. <laughs> the end of the story is Joseph's incredible perspective on everything that he went through in these two verses. In Genesis 45, I'm going to read verses 7 and 8. And I love it. Joseph says to his brothers, and God sent me. You didn't sell me. God sent me. God sent me. God sent me before you to preserve you a remnant in the earth and to keep you alive. God sent me. You didn't sell me. You didn't abandon me. You didn't throw me in the pit. God sent me to keep you alive by a great deliverance. Verse 8, now, therefore, it was not you who sent me, but God. Do you hear that incredible perspective that those 13 years instilled in Joseph? This isn't poetry. This was the reality of Joseph's life. Now, therefore, it was not you who sent me here, but God and he made me a father to Pharaoh. <laughs> Come on. A lord of all his household and ruler over all the land of Egypt. Oh, God, why did you let this happen? No, God is sending you. And he's bringing you through all this stuff because you have been sent. And his spirit is upon you. And it's going to be tough at times, but you're going to arrive, and we're going to arrive, and we're going to be like, wow, God sent me. I wasn't sold. 
I wasn't betrayed. I wasn't blah, blah, blah. I was sent by God Almighty. And it's going to be incredible. One of the other things that Joseph said there um, was that he said, you meant it for evil, but God meant it for good. Learning how to interpret things real, with the, with, through the lens that God is the big God and circumstance, people and circumstances are little. God is so big. You know, the maturity of a Christian is learning how to interpret things through the lens of God. He'll never leave me. He'll never forsake me. We know that. That's a set. Don't question that. That's done. So what's going on? Okay, God never leaves me. He's never forsaken. He's with me here. So what's going on? Learning how to interpret your circumstances through the lens of a good, loving father that has knows the plans that I have for you, says the Lord. Plans to give you a future and a hope, right? Learning how to interpret your circumstances. Because if you don't learn to interpret your circumstances through the big God perspective, you will inevitably turn to bitterness, and you will poison not only yourself, your life, but everyone around you. What you're going through is meant to make you better, but if you don't put God in the perspective, you will become bitter. And it truly is a true statement that things will make, circumstances can make you better or bitter. You decide. You decide. You decide. So we have to decide. I don't know about you. I don't want to be bitter. I've seen, the, I've seen, where that, where that goes, I don't like it. So, no, it doesn't. You know, Joseph had numerous prisons. He didn't just have the one. Sometimes we graduate from one prison to another prison, but the ultimate graduation we will be happy about. Just keep. Don't grow weary in well-doing. Be faithful where you're at. So thank you, Lord. Let this just go deep in our heart, Lord. Let it encourage us. Let it encourage us, Lord. In Jesus' name.